Happy Wednesday. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. Pete Callender here on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. And I'm going to talk a little bit later on about the stray voltage theory. This was uh, a tactic used by the Obama administration lo those many years ago. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think we might be seeing it in action today. So there's that. We also have the governor is going to do a uh, one of his COVID briefings at 3 p.m. Again, scheduling it for right after I get off the air. Coincidence? Probably, but maybe not. Who can tell? And uh, so we won't be able to carry it live. I won't be able to give you all of my mystery science theater-esque witticisms during his briefing, but I'm going to make a prediction. I'm not going to really cover much of this topic, but I'm just going to make one prediction on that, which is I think he's going to reinstate the mask mandate. Because in the past, what he has done is wait for the big cities and counties to move first, and then he follows suit. He did it before on the mask mandates. On one of them, he did it with the school reopening stuff. He waits for the big jurisdictions to move And then he follows up afterwards. And I don't know if it's coordination. I suspect it is. But um, or it could just be, you know, lack of leadership. And it would explain why you've seen the Charlotte city officials and the county officials. They're all kind of like, yeah, well, I'm not sure. When does it start? Let's try this. And I think everyone's trying to line it all up now with also what's happening with the. uh, The national uh, news, which is. Boosters after eight months. You got the vaccine. Now everybody needs to get a booster. At what every eight months, every six months, is that going to be the new normal? Everybody has to keep getting booster shots. Is that the idea? That ties into the stray voltage theory. So the stray voltage theory is, uh, and this was identified by one of Obama's advisors. I think he gave the interview to Major Garrett back when he worked for either Fox or CBS or the AP, or I forget, he's worked so many places. And so uh, maybe he was at CNN, I forget. But he gave this interview and he talked about how there is always a certain amount of political static in the air all the time. Right? If you think of it, you think of like the environment and the, sort of the, the news that is out there and different issues and people and comments and social media and news stories, all of that is the, the environment. And there's a certain amount of static, right? Each of these stories have a certain level of charge to them, right? Some could be explosive and go boom very quickly. And some are just minor. They make a little bit of a blip and that's it. And they're gone. Okay. So what the stray voltage theory does is says, okay, we already know that there is going to be this certain amount of static in the atmosphere. So rather than wait for the you know, the boom or to wait for the blip. Why don't we go over and touch the doorknob and direct the static charge there? Does that make sense? Like if you're walking on carpet in the wintertime or if you're in my apartment complex, just walking on any of the surfaces right now. And uh, I don't understand that. Why would I get, if I'm walking on laminate, why do I get static electricity built up? What's up with that? Well, you, do you know this, Ryan? You don't have any idea why. You're not a scientist. So I've been told. Um, I think it has something to do with the insulation underneath. Either that or they're trying to 
It's like some sort of behavior modification experiment that I have unwittingly entered into. At any rate, you go over and you touch the doorknob, right? Or you, you touch the elevator button, you touch a metal service and you get a, you get a shock. And rather than being surprised by that, right? Let's go over and intentionally do it so we can, we can control where that energy goes. And so you would have stories that would pop up in the news cycle as, you know, very, very important. Or, oh, my gosh, Obama's wearing a tan suit. That's stray voltage. This is not me making this up. This is what the Obama advisors literally said they do. So why would it be any different now? mostly the same people in the Biden administration. So if you've got this crew that have adopted this as a tactic and utilize it, and by the way, I'm not sure that they're the only ones. I'm, I'm pretty certain like a lot of people now use this. It's been around for, well, gosh, I probably read about it in 09. So a decade. And if you can direct the outrage or energy towards a certain topic, it means people are not talking about some other topic that maybe you don't want them talking about, right? Maybe there's some other topic they're not interested in you focusing on, and so we'll just send you over there. Tan suit. Oh, my God, tan suit. Which people on the right, I remember this. There's a reason why this is sort of, to me, like the quintessential example of this is because people on the right did not care about the tan suit that Obama wore at some, you know, news conference. Nobody on the right cared about that. That was, that was the left. People on the left brought that up. People on the left were like, holy cow, he's not wearing a dark blue suit or a black suit or whatever. Like, they were the ones who made this a thing and then somehow, like, accused people on the right of caring about the color of the suit. Like, wait, so hang on, let me get this straight. The people on the right are the ones that are all up to date on the fashion trends, <laughs> right? Okay, right. Yeah, it's the troglodyte right that's <laughs> that's all that's all on trend. Um, so that was a perfect example of stray voltage, and there are there are others. And I can't help but thinking that this news today of the booster shot, and and that's. Because I, I mentioned it yesterday. This was news yesterday that, hey, hey, you might need a booster shot eight months from now. I mentioned it yesterday. But now we've got Joe Biden, President Biden, scheduling some sort of media availability at 430 to talk about coronavirus. Um, why? Are you aware of what's happening in Afghanistan? Maybe he's not. It's possible. President Sundowners may not be aware of, uh, of what's going on. Just like a Rocky movie song, sounds like one. Like getting me, get me pumped. Feel like I want to go like jog, but not very strenuously, like a fast walk. You missed your calling with that Olympic event a couple weeks back. The fast walkers? No. The... Weren't you a fast walker? I am a fast walker. Well, you are. A fa- no, that's not true. I've seen you in the parking lot. I will say, when you're in the building on the clock, you're a fast walker. Yes. I've not seen you in your natural habitat 
at a restaurant. Are you going to be like creepily walking or watching me walk away <laughs> from the building today? I think it's adorable that you think I haven't already been watching you walk away from the building every time. Uh, I actually pressed play on yeah, the soundbite before I even made the joke. It was a tease. It was a huge tease. <laughs> One day. <clears throat> Whoa. Okay, then. Um, News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. I have some Biden cuts. Actually, Ryan pulled the audio from the Biden speech. He did it, so I didn't have to. And he watched it, so I didn't have to. But we're going to cover it now, so you didn't have to watch it either. So really, the hero here is me, obviously. Hey! <laughs> uh, the hero is Ryan for actually watching and, uh, and pulling the cuts for us. So I, I, and I did watch it. And it was as terrible as uh, you have heard if you haven't actually watched it. So um, I found this to be interesting. Uh, I'm going to circle back to this like Jen Psaki does on everything. Um, There's a new framing that's being used, and it's Afghanistan Civil War. So I'm left again to ask of those who argue that we should stay. Mm -hmm. How many more generations of America's daughters and sons would you have me send to fight Afghanistan's civil war when Afghan troops will not? How many more lives, American lives, is it worth? How many endless rows of headstones at Arlington National Cemetery? I'm clear on my answer. I will not repeat the mistakes we've made in the past. All right. To me, this is all in service to an argument that we didn't lose. It's not our fight. It was never our fight. It's the Afghan civil war, you see. Right? It's I'm reminded, have you ever seen the movie A Fish Called Wanda? Am I dating myself now? Have you ever seen this movie? Yeah, he's a he's no, you're a millen- no, you're you're not a you're Gen Z. Yeah. Gen Z. Is a Gen Z a millennial? Is a millennial a Gen Z? Is, Is this like one a of those square, square rectangle? Yeah, 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 square rectangle thing. Yeah. I'm 34, so I don't know what that what the little cutoff is. There's there's times where I feel like both. I yeah. choose which one I want to be. I keep asking you this with the hopes that at some point you would you would figure it out and then you could answer. I'm like, a flip flopper. I, I waffle. You're, now there is a there's a cohort of people that are kind of born between two defined generations that kind of you know it's almost like astrology. You know when you're and I don't know any of the signs except my own and my wife's, but when you're like on the border of right. two that like you have the tendency for both. It's like, well, isn't that convenient? Especially yeah. now. Cause they did the thing where they changed it, where like you can be like a Leo in the month of July. I oh, think, that's now, now they do it like to the 26th to the 26th. Wait, are you like an astrology person? No, I'm not <laughs> like you. I only know mine. You've expressed more information, more knowledge of this topic than I have. And I'm, 10 years older than you. So why would you know that? Because that you're up to date on the current events of astrology. That's it. Don't a- don't ask me another follow-up question or anything cuz I won't have anything for you, Pete. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh so and I won't ask you your sign cuz I don't want to make things uncomfortable in the uh, studio. Leo. Nice. That's right cuz you just had a birthday and my wife is a Leo. It all makes sense now. 
No, it doesn't. All right. So when you're kind of on the cusp, I think is what they call that in the astrology world, uh, you're on the cusp, then like, oh, you have the characteristics of both. Well, do you know the ones that are around you? No. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know the one. Like, I'm Sagittarius. I don't know what's before or after. But they're like, if you're born towards the end of this thing, then you'd be more, you could have traits like the other. Right. So you could be a tweener, which is you were born between one and the other. You're a tweener. But nobody likes that term because it just sounds, you know, it's it sounds emasculating. You know? Anyway. So nobody likes the term, so they don't want to be a tweener, whatever. Um, how did I even get onto this topic? I don't know. But this Afghanistan civil war is, oh, this is because it's a fish called Wanda. Remember where the guy is trying to uh, to take out, I think it was Ken, who had the stutter, the speech impediment, and he's trying to take out Kevin Klein, and he's screaming, or maybe it was John Cleese. Yeah, it was John Cleese who couldn't move and yeah, anyway, so John Cleese is like, oh, yeah, you're Americans. You're, you know, because this guy, like, he was, uh, Kevin Klein was a real, like, jingoistic kind of, you know, America, everybody else stinks and like that. But it's in Europe, takes place in Europe. And so John Cleese is, like, ragging on him for losing, for America losing Vietnam. And Kevin Klein says, we didn't lose. That was a tie. That was a tie. I get the same vibe off of Biden here. Like, he's the Kevin Klein yelling at the cars that are driving correctly and he's in driving incorrectly, right? He's the Kevin Klein, like, we didn't lose, this is not us, this was an Afghan civil war. I'm seeing this framing dropped into stories all over the place. It's not coincidence. It cannot be coincidence, right? We haven't been there fighting an Afghan civil war all this time, right? We went in there to, quote, nation-build take out the Taliban. Taliban ran for the hills, cowards that they are, right? Ran to the hills. They ran to the mountains and went into the caves. And this idea also that the Afghan military, that like they refuse to fight for themselves. Well, they have been fighting. They've lost tens of thousands of people over the last two years or so. They have been fighting. They're apparently just not very good at it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I just saw a great tweet. You can see them too, by the way. They're on Twitter, that hellscape that it is. Um, now I've probably lost it because, as I just mentioned, it's a bit of a hellscape. Um, well, yeah, now I'm not going to be able to find it. But I can, I can probably remember it, kind of, which is uh, just because somebody tells you, like, hey, you need to drive home doesn't mean that you need to drive home and, you know, run people over and be drunk, right? Do you get the, do you get the difference? I mean, I know I'm getting a little nuanced here. May not be obvious to a lot of people, the difference that I'm outlining, but like, Hey, you need to go home versus, Hey, you need to go home, get drunk, drive and run over a whole bunch of people. And if I tell you to go home and that's it, and you do the go home, drive drunk and kill people, the excuse you should not be allowed to offer is that, well, Pete said to go home. I did say to go home. I did not say that you should do all of that other stuff as you 
went home. It was a poor way to do it. Yet this is the argument that we are treated to by our president. It is, in a word, insulting, right? It's offensive. It's pandering. He thinks we are idiots. Or he is. Well, okay. His speech writers, right? His advisors. Um, there's no other explanation for why you would think that this approach would work. Speaking of approaches that work, PhD weight loss. I am using PhD weight loss. I've been on it for a week. By the way, I'm going in for the first weigh-in tomorrow. And they say, you know, don't get on the scale. Don't weigh yourself because, you know, your weight fluctuates. And I learned that as well, like a long time ago. That's true. You don't want to, like people who get on the scale every single day or they're weighing themselves every single day. Like that's not, that's not a good approach. Once a week, same time, basically every week, that's when you should do it. But I'm going back in for my one week update. I got to tell you though, I feel, I feel like I may have lost, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 pounds, maybe 50. It may, it may, it may be 50. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I, like, I do, I know I've lost weight. I could feel it and my clothes fit better already. And it's like, and as I mentioned the other day, like I only brought with me like six shirts from Asheville because they were the only ones that still fit. All the other ones were starting to get, you know, you can tell it when you're looking at the shirts, their button down shirts in the, uh, in the closet. And they've got like the second to last button at the bottom of the line. And they're, it's kind of like spread out. Right, it's like the the uh, the part between the buttons is kind of like permanently like opened a little bit. That's your belly pushing out. That's what what they called is the visceral fat, visceral fat. And I've got it. It's around my stomach and it grows like they described it as jelly. It's kind of nasty sounding, but it's like jelly and it grows all around like the organs and everything. And then it like it it needs like blood and like all these terrible things to keep it growing. And that's what it's going to do. And so they like their strategy, their personalized, customized meal plan and strategy. The plan for me is aimed at getting rid of the visceral fat. There's a different kind of fat that I think is like not as bad. The visceral stuff is really bad. It kills you. I think the other stuff, I'm not sure. I think it like just, it, it's just annoying. I think that's what it does. It's like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. It's like that kind of annoying. Whereas the visceral stuff is like, Ooh, visceral, you know, I think that's the science. Anyway, MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Go to the website and check out the program. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to email me or call them. MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Come and join me. I'm taking the first steps. You can join me. MyPhDWeightLoss.com. So uh, this argument, it's not even really an argument that the, uh, uh, that the administration is making. It's not even a real argument. The argument is not, well, I had to pull out. Like, that's not the argument. The argument is, why are you doing it this poorly, <laughs> right? Yet that's what they keep saying. So this is not the argument. It's not whether to leave or to stay. It is how to withdraw. I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. That's why we're still there. We were clear-eyed about the risks. We planned for every contingency, but I always promised the American people that I would be straight with you. The truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. Uh-oh. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up. 
and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed, sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. Okay, fair. Like, fair. Donald Trump said the same thing to a large extent, right? That the political leaders, they, they, they ran, they gave up, right? The political leaders gave up, the military gave up. It's all the Afghans' fault, right? That's why all of those Americans, though, are still trapped behind enemy lines now. When I ran for president, that I would bring America's military involvement in Afghanistan to an end. While it's been hard and messy, and yes, far from perfect, I've honored that commitment. More importantly, I made a commitment to the brave men and women who serve this nation that I wasn't going to ask them to continue to risk their lives in a military action that should have ended long ago. Our leaders did that in Vietnam when I got here as a young man. I will not do it in Afghanistan. I know my decision will be criticized, but I would rather take all that criticism than pass this decision on to another president of the United States, yet another one, a fifth one, because it's the right one, it's the right decision for our people, the right one for our brave service members who risk their lives serving our nation. And it's the right one for America. So he's going to take the responsibility for making this really tough decision. He doesn't want to pass this decision on to another president. Yet it was Donald Trump's decision, right? That was the message. This has been their message, that Donald Trump did this deal with the Taliban. He's the one who set all of this in motion. And so... I didn't really have a choice, even though I undid like all of these other things that Donald Trump did. I could not possibly undo this, but I will do this because it's the right decision, even though when Trump made it, it was the wrong one. (laughs) Are you following this? And now everyone is focused on that stupidity rather than the fact that the way you are doing it is the issue, right? What he's talking about here is like, I made the call. It's a tough call, but I made it. You damn right I ordered the code red. Like, dude, that's not the argument. That's not the criticism. That's not the question. It can be the right decision, and it can also be executed in the completely wrong way. Talk 1110-993-WBT. That's Blues Traveler. I saw them open for the Rolling Stones at Erickson Stadium. Bridges to Babylon tour. A buddy of mine caught John Popper's uh, harmonica at a concert. Oh, I was going to say what? Like, he threw it in the crowd. He threw it in the crowd? Yeah. That's, that's actually kind of dangerous. If you're not paying attention, and let's be honest, if you're at you a concert... You can poke an eye out. You can knock somebody out with a harmonica. If you're not careful. Right. All right. Uh, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, we're going over some of this, uh, the clips from this speech that Joe Biden gave the other day. Um, and 
a couple things. Number one, it seems to me like there's this effort to frame this as strictly Afghanistan civil war. That's number one. And I think there's a there's a there's a PR benefit. So it's like we didn't lose. That's it's the Afghan civil war. It's it's their war. We were just kind of there. Like, I don't even know. I just kind of stumbled into this area. Oh, my gosh, it's a civil war. We just left all these like Humvees and RPGs and drones and stuff. I don't know. We were just, you know, it's how we always travel. Um, and he also then said, you heard him say there that the intelligence uh, that they didn't think this is, and this was, by the way, this was an attack on the intel community was uh, that they didn't think it would fall this quickly. And the knives are now out. You can see it in the press reports, right? Why stories get covered, how they get covered, how they get uh, uh, leaked, essentially. Like, information gets, I don't want to say leaked, it's funneled to, it's directed to certain reporters. Basically, like, here's a good example. Ken Delanian, I mentioned him the other day, he's at NBC News. If that guy is doing any kind of a report, you know that's coming from the CIA, right? That's what they want you to hear. <laughs> and so, and, and which is fine, like, if you... But if you know this, now you know, oh, okay, this is what the CIA, this is their position. And I don't know if it's true or not, because it's the CIA, right? <laughs> but this is their narrative that they would like to get out there. Sort of like the guy Anonymous, uh, the other, uh, right, who wrote the big op-ed, oh, I'm a Trump official, and then he turned out to be like, you know, some undersecretary to the vice president of, you know, nowhereistan or whatever. And uh, like, and were, oh, he was a senior official. He was not. Or the guy uh, who was a friend to Jim Comey and he leaked out Jim Comey's notes. Like they have ways of pushing their narrative, pushing their story into the mainstream media. And so that's what happened via the New York Times. The intelligence community headline Intelligence warned of Afghanistan military collapse despite Biden's assurances. This is a direct response to Biden's speech. This New York Times story today is a direct response to Biden's speech uh, yesterday. Was it yesterday? The 16th, two days ago. Well, I mean, I am current here. I try to stay on top of <laughs> um, this. So this Fauci is, audio coming up. Fauci audio, right, coming up. Uh, let me go over here to Nate. Welcome to the program. Hello, Nate. How are you? All right, man. Hey. So, you know, to hear you talk about this and the, the way you're you're saying it is, I, personally, I thought it was a I thought it was a great speech, only because I've never seen in my lifetime a president own up to the fact that it was a mistake. Getting out was a mistake. I mean, going in was a mistake. How they got out is a mistake. It, it, you know, I don't think Trump would have done that, and he had four years to get out and he didn't do anything. So, right. So why do you, so hang on a second, Nate, why does yeah. it matter what another president would or wouldn't do? Well, I mean, uh, how, how many presidents have let this go on? You know, it, we've been in there 30 years, four, it's 24, 20 24, years, okay. four presidents. Bush yeah. went in after nine 11 to right. root out the, the, the terrorists who had attacked us on nine 11. We told the Taliban, give them up. They refused. So we went in Taliban fled Right. So that that was the first wave. And then then you had Obama for eight years doing drone strikes everywhere. And then you had Trump for four years. And he was the one who said, you know, we're pulling out. And then he set up this plan. Trump, who Trump, who did more drone strikes. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, true enough. But he (laughs) but 
but you realize that like the difference there. Remember when he took out Soleimani? Do you remember the reaction? Yeah. What what was it? It was outrage, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember when Obama took out the American citizen? Yeah, I, I get where you're going with this. Uh, no, I, oh, right. So my point, my point is just to yeah. illustrate the reactions to the to the different policies. So Trump, because I what I am about is a consistent application of a standard, right? And so if the standard is you want uh, that, that you've never seen any president, you know, own up to these mistakes. First off, I disagree with that, but like I, I'm I'm asking you to now compare with these other presidents because you brought up the other presidents. So they were in, they were fighting the war, they were doing the nation building. That was the strategy that all of these presidents had undertaken. Then Trump says, we're going to get out, right? He puts in place the plan. He does the negotiations with the Taliban. He gets pilloried for it. People are saying it's terrible. Biden says, hey, you know what? Uh, We had to go with the plan because Donald Trump did this thing and I have to follow the plan. So he first blames Trump. And then he right. says, "What? Well, but I'm going wait, to." Wait, where in that where in that speech did he blame Trump? At the very beginning. What? what, what At the very beginning, Trump. and when he said, "Like this was all put in motion by my predecessor," like this has been the no, he, no, no, he no. says predecessors. He, it's it's been put in motion. It, no, it, it's there. Trump had four years to get us out. Hang on, it's hang nothing. on, hang on, hang on, hang on, so, Nate. Focus on. I Nate. know. I know. Listen, I get the, I get the partisan media. I get that, and and that's not listen, that's when, not my when, point. But that's not my point. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to drag you back to this one point, which is yeah, I, you're talking about right. You're talking about when they decided to pull out and how that would go down. Right. That's that's the beef here. That to me well, is how, the whole point. How would it, how would a twenty four year twenty four year conflict what? What does that 20. look like? Does that ever go well? No, it doesn't. That's not the point. It, that's not the question here. No, but that's not the question, hairs, man. You're huh? splitting hairs to. I'm to not splitting hairs. Point. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. As I said, I'm trying to drag you back to the singular point that you called in to make, which was that you thought it was a good speech. You've never seen a president own up to mistakes and all of this other stuff, right? And that's what you had said. Tell me one that has right before. that owned up to mistakes. Yeah. Well, what Any was the mistake? Them. What was the mistake that Biden made that he owned up to? That the uh, the pullout was a disaster. The way it went down, he 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 said that. He said, "I didn't. We didn't foresee it that way." And of course, he said he blamed intelligence. He just said he is blaming he, the intelligence community. Absolutely, he says, he's he's blaming, he's blaming the intelligence his administration. Yeah, no. It, look, you're you're. How do you, so how do you think he came to the determination that uh, the Taliban would survive, or I'm sorry, the uh, Afghan? Uh, army would survive maybe two years or so that they would not fall as quickly as they did. Who, how do you think he came to that conclusion? How did he come to what conclusion? Say that, that, again? The, that the Afghan government and its military would be able to hold back the Taliban. How did I don't he think come, he ever did come to that conclusion. Well, he obviously did. How so? Because he said that in his speech that they, that they had uh, fallen much faster than they had predicted. Where did that come from? Where did that in, where did that knowledge that Biden expressed come from? Man, I I don't even know what you're trying to get at. It's like it's not what I'm getting at. It's just a question, Nate. I'm just it's a very I, simple question. Where do you think that comes from? Where does Biden come across this information, this prediction that the Afghan government is going to be able to withstand the Taliban for up to two years? Where does he come well, up with that idea? From his intelligence. Okay, so when the intelligence community says this to him, right, and he believes them. And then he proceeds accordingly, right? 
and then it doesn't happen, what does he do? Dude, we've been lied to all along about it. Doesn't matter, Nate. Stop, Nate. Nate, stop. What I just follow along here. When he comes out, when the the intel community says that to him, he believes it. He then proceeds accordingly. It doesn't happen. He then and they fall. Now he goes out and he makes a speech. And what does he say? That we thought this was going to be the case and it wasn't. So he's blaming the intel community for that. He Yes, he's the one who makes the decision, but he is blaming the intel community because they're the ones who gave him the info. He like That's obvious. I don't know why this is controversial. I understand you want to blame somebody else for something and you want to be out of Afghanistan. That's fine. But how you go out matters. That's the point. You're making his argument. You're buying his line. And I don't care who it is. And by the way, if you're going to come at me like, oh, you're, you know, because you're like giving this pass to Trump. Yeah, I I would advise you to maybe go back and, well, you can't anymore. But the old podcast from 2016, I I don't think you're going to find that I was a huge fan of Donald Trump at the time. So. Approaching 105, News Talk 1110 wbt Charlotte. Pete Callender here. So this is this is why I keep, uh, I'm going to come back to this. I just want to point out the thing that annoys me when I get into conversations like I just had with Nate. And I acknowledge, I got kind of, not, I'm not mad, I maybe even annoyed is too strong of a word. Just disappointed. That's probably more accurate. Which is, when you call in, and, and it, whether it's a call-in show or it's a conversation, when you make an assertion which demands a response from me and I make a response to that assertion, for the love of me, don't start throwing out random, irrelevant questions. It's a deflective mechanism. I understand why people do it. It's just, it's, it's disappointing. It can be annoying. It can get frustrating if people keep doing it. It's why I keep saying, no, I'm going to drag you back to the original point. You said this. Like, well, did any other thing, you know, did any other president say that, you know, make a mistake, that they made a mistake in something? What Joe Biden did in that speech, and you're free to disagree. He, Nate was free to disagree, and that's what he called in to say he was going to disagree like he told Ryan, as I understand it, he told Ryan, because it shows up on the board, that he thought Biden's speech was courageous. Now, he never made that argument to me. Right? He started talking about all these other presidents, that they never ended the war. That's not the point. That's what Biden would like you to focus on, that I'm ending the war, even though he says he had to do what he did in the manner he did it because Donald Trump made him. And that's just not true. And it's not true. And yes, Monica points out on Twitter, LOL, he's trying to make you a Trumper. <laughs> he was. He, he had some assumptions about me. He had, he, dare I call it, bigotry, prejudice. Yeah. I, he has no idea what my views on Donald Trump are. And honestly, at this point, it doesn't even matter. Because Donald Trump is not the president anymore. Donald Trump was not in charge of what we've been seeing in Afghanistan. Donald Trump did not make these decisions. As I mentioned earlier, Donald Trump says 
hey, you need to go home. And then Joe Biden gets in a car, drives drunk, kills a bunch of people. And when asked why he did it, he says, well, Donald Trump told me I had to go home. Like, no, there's a manner in which you do something that is separate from the the desire to do the thing, right? They are separate and discrete uh, decisions. And simply saying, hey, we're going to pull out and we're going to end our, our presence there. Everybody be ready. That does not dictate that what we saw over the last 72 hours. And by the way, I mentioned this, I alluded to it yesterday. Just folks need to be prepared for what we might start seeing. And if you're young and you don't know how long the war in Afghanistan has been going on, because they didn't, it's been going on 20 years. We're about to arrive at like almost 20 years since 9-11. If you're too young to know not just 9-11 and the horrific images that played out in real time on live television of people jumping to their deaths out of that skyscraper, right? If you're not prepared to see the beheadings live streamed on social media platforms of Americans, men, women, and children. If you're not will, if you're not ready, I say willing, but you're not ready to see people being set on fire alive in cages. Then like maybe just sit back, just observe for a little while. Because people who do remember those things, this is what this is what's in the back of our minds. When, when we hear that there are thousands of Americans right now trapped behind enemy lines because of a colossal failure of whoever the smart set is, right? Military, intelligence, White House. I don't care. I Like, honestly, I don't care. What I care about is getting the people out so we're not being treated to videos, snuff films, mass executions, on a daily basis for the next year. Think about how many hostage videos they could put out with a thousand hostages. They could do one a day for three years. They, and for folks who aren't aware of what a beheading video actually is, I would not recommend it. You can never unsee it. Take it from me. You can never unsee it. Once you see those videos, they are burned in your memory. This is who we're dealing with. This is who has now taken over the country. And you can say, well, we should have gotten out. We never should have been there. We should have, should have, should have. Somebody's got a case of the shouldas, right? Let me go over here to Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to the program. How are you? Uh, doing pretty good. Hey, I'm all right, man. What's up? A uh, little question I have. I understand. Uh, I think Biden really is just trying to play with the heartstrings of Americans to save their families and save this and that. And I understand that. And that, that's a good point. But at the same time, we have controlled all these terrorists for the last 20 years, pretty much. Now I, I'm really concerned for everyone that mm-hmm. nobody's going to know who is who, who's doing what. And the Taliban is promising, well, we're going to be good to the people. We're going to treat them good if they yeah. just follow our orders. But are they trusted? I mean, can we expect things again to happen? Dude, they're already whipping people. Right yeah, they're already whipping people in the streets um, at the uh, outside the airport. Uh, 
they're, they're all they're, they're already uh, kicking in doors looking for, quote unquote, looters. Uh, they're, they shot and killed a woman who uh, was poor and could not cook their military fighters, could not cook them a meal for the third straight day. She had no more food, so they killed her. Like This is the Taliban. They have shut yeah, down I mean, the schools. They are right They're They're uh, forcing marriages on the girls. They're going to run their sex slave operations again. This is who we've empowered. And to boot, they've got a whole bunch of precious metals, minerals, rather, uh, that now countries like Russia and China are going to cozy up to them and keep funneling them money so they can use that to keep all of their hardware that we left for them uh, in place. Well, people say, well, you know, uh, uh, this war was for nothing. There was no reason for it. But, yes, there was a reason for it. It's for our safety and our protection and keeping the, the borders safe. But now I don't see that happening. What's your opinion on that? And that's uh, really all I have to say. Right. Our, do you mean our borders in America? Yeah. I mean, now with all this influx of people yeah. that are probably going to be coming in, that we don't know who's who or anything. Yeah. So it's right. So a couple of things, uh, Jeff, I appreciate the call you've got. The border insecurity, right? I mean, you've opened up the borders on the south uh, uh, in America, right, along Mexico's border. So you got people that are just coming in. Not really sure who all of those folks are. Uh, but you also have a lot of the people that are going to be airlifted out of Afghanistan. Are we going to be vetting them? How, like, how well are we going to be vetting them? <laughs> I have some questions about that, considering the track record right now. How matters as much as the when and that's what i'm attacking biden over is the how this has been handled how it's been handled and biden no did not accept blame for the how the blame game is underway The intel community tells its story to the New York Times that classified assessments by American spy agencies over the summer painted an increasingly grim picture of the prospect of a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan and warned of the rapid collapse of the Afghan military, even as President Biden and his advisors said publicly that was unlikely to happen as quickly. This according to current and former American government officials. By July, last month, many intelligence reports grew more pessimistic, questioning whether any Afghan security forces could muster serious resistance and whether the government could hold on in Kabul. President Biden said on July 8th that the Afghan government was unlikely to fall and that there would be no chaotic evacuations of Americans similar to the end of the Vietnam War. So he's saying... We were wrong, but by we, I mean the people that told me. Right? We got bad intel. The intel, which, by the way, the intelligence community, like, they've been messing up on these types of predictions for a long time. I mean, I remember, like, the classic was they missed the collapse of the Soviet Union. Right? So uh, this is kind of in their wheelhouse. Or so they want us to believe. The drumbeat of warnings over the summer raised questions about why Biden administration officials and military planners in Afghanistan seemed ill-prepared to deal with the Taliban's final push into Kabul, including a failure to ensure security at the main airport and rushing thousands more troops back to the country to protect the United States' final exit. 
Here's another thing. Why would they be going out of Kabul rather than Bagram? Bagram's bigger. I think it's got more than one airstrip. It's not also, you know, located in the middle of a city. It's 25 miles outside of town, so they they could easily or more easily defend it than rather than being inside of a city, as we're seeing right now. Like These are just, like, I know these questions to ask. And who am I? How, how, how is it that they got it this wrong? But this New York Times piece, this is, make no mistake, this is the Intel community putting out their narrative that, hey, we were telling the administration, like, this is going to go bad very quickly. We were letting them know, like, one report here in July, as dozens of Afghan districts were falling, the Intel agencies predicted a cascading collapse could happen rapidly and that the Afghan security forces were at high risk of falling apart. It is unclear, says the New York Times, whether other reports during this period presented a more optimistic picture about the ability of the Afghan military and the government in Kabul to withstand the insurgents. So what does that tell you? There may be other reports. The New York Times doesn't know. But the one report or reports that the CIA or the intel community, whoever that would be, like the people that had these reports that were like, we were telling them this. They have those reports. They fed them to the New York Times. We don't know if there were other reports that maybe made their way to the president's desk that he was reading. Were there conflicting reports? The New York Times cannot say because they only got one batch or one, right? They only got one side of that story. And that side happens to exonerate or to minimize culpability among the intel agencies, which is what you need to understand to know that that's who fed the New York Times the story, right? Ipso facto, Jimmy, welcome to the program. Hello, Jimmy. What's going on? Hey, Pete. Hey. I'll tell you what. I, you know, I really wasn't a big Bush fan at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Obama did a lot of that. Well, it was his fault. And so the Biden administration, you know, it's pretty much the Obama administration, mm-hmm. is going, well, it's Trump's fault. Well, when is it going to be their fault? I mean, gas is high. Inflation's running crazy. What is going to be their fault? Well, who, I mean, so you know, the, the just, yeah, <laughs> as I understand it, the rule is Jimmy that the good things are their doings and the bad things are not. As far as I, I think that's well, how that works. Well, I, I remember evil, bad Trump, horrible Trump, and I'm black. You know, I take heat all the time, and when I say this. Evil, evil Trump had uh, a gas of dollar sixty, dollar seventy, and now it's free. Well, I used to buy groceries for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Now I'm buying it for hundred and seventy bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where, where is the good in the Biden? <laughs> it's net. Well, it won't be his fault. This is for folks who aren't, uh, and, and I put myself in this group. For people who aren't familiar or they don't remember Jimmy Carter and his presidency, I think like all indications are this is a lot like it. This is a lot like the Jimmy Carter presidency in that we had the what they called it stagflation at the time, right? They had the um, uh, you had high gas prices. I mean, you had like when I was a very young child, my mom had to wait because they in the gas lines in order to get gas, and you they separated out at least up in New York they were doing. Uh, you know, even uh, uh, even an odd number license plates. 
that's when you would go to get gas. If you had an even number license plate, you know, uh, plate that ended with an even number, you would go on, you know, these three days of the week. And if you had an odd number, you go on these other days of the week. That's how they were trying to minimize the gas shocks and all of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, like there are a lot of similarities to the Carter term. Definitely. One other thing. When is, like, YouTube and Twitter, when, when they start, you know, would you say it, when they're starting putting uh, American heads off on uh, on YouTube and all these, uh, you mm-hmm. know, tech sites and all that stuff, when are they going to start taking the Taliban thing away? Or would you like to sit and watch it? <laughs> I suspect if the Taliban starts putting out those types of videos on Twitter, for example, then... Uh, then they would probably get kicked off the site. But, I mean, I get your point. Like, they're still out on Twitter, but Trump is not. Um, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, Jimmy, I appreciate the call, man. Good to talk with you. Um, it, it is. It's a, it's, again, it's an inconsistent application of a standard. You literally have a terrorist organization that is allowed to be present on Twitter, and you have Donald Trump who's not. And, by the way, um, if you are of the camp or of the tendency to say, well, you know, the Taliban's just like the Republicans here, like, if that's your frame of mind or you've uttered this stupidity, you might want to just sit the next few plays out, okay? Because you're obviously not you're, you're not capable of engaging in any kind of a rational discourse around this topic. It's just foolish. It's stupid. So, yeah, just sit the next few plays out. New York Times reporting that intelligence agencies predicted a cascading collapse could happen rapidly. They were saying this in July. This is the story in the New York Times. But key American decisions were made long before July. This is the pushback from the White House then. One senior administration official who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss the classified intelligence report said that even by July... As the situation grew more volatile, intelligence agencies never offered a clear prediction of an imminent Taliban takeover. So we were just following what they told us. That's all we could do. Now, here's a question, though. Now that we are seeing what's happening and we've got Taliban surrounding the airport, they're surrounding the areas where uh, these Americans and uh, what they call SIVs, these people who have like, uh, helped uh, Americans uh, over the last 20 years, they're, they got their green cards and passports or whatever they're trying to get out. Um, they're surrounding that. They're controlling the corridors. But we're supposed to believe that they're going to get safe passage from the Taliban. That was literally what the State Department sent out to everybody the other day. They said, uh, hey, you need to get to the Kabul airport, but sorry, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to do anything for your travel accommodations. So good luck. That's why a lot of people are like, we're, we're remembering the, the snuff videos, the hostage videos, the murdering. We're, there are people older than me who are remembering the hostage crisis. I remember as a young kid, I do remember this, the yellow ribbons around our trees and the song, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Like I still remember the, uh, well, there was this thing we did on the school bus where you would you know, take your, your thumb and you would say, I walked, and then your second, your pointer finger, you, so you'd put your thumb out. So you make a fist, and you go, I walked, and you'd raise your thumb out, and then you would put it back in, and then you say, I, I walked, I jogged, 
with your pointer finger, and then you pull your pointer finger back, and then the third finger in the line would say, I ran. That was all the rage when I was in elementary school because they had taken all the hostages. I remember that. That's what people are rem- are remembering. Um, so what happens if the Taliban captures, kidnaps, and then starts killing Americans? Well, let's listen. If they attack our personnel mm-hmm. or disrupt our operation, mm-hmm. the U.S. presence will be swift and the response will be swift and forceful. We will defend our people with devastating force if necessary. Our current military mission will be short in time, limited in scope, and focused in its objectives. Get our people and our allies to safely as quickly as possible. And once we have completed this mission, we will conclude our military withdrawal. We'll end America's longest war after 20 long years of bloodshed. The events we're seeing now are sadly proof that no amount of military force would ever deliver a stable, united, secure Afghanistan. Secure? Anyway, this is, again, gaslighting. This, he keeps making this about his decision to leave, not the manner, which, by the way, he also said wasn't really his decision, but the decision to leave, not the manner in which we are leaving. Also, does the Taliban believe this threat? Right. The threat doesn't work unless it is believable. And if they don't believe that he's actually going to, you know, bring down hellfire and brimstone on them, if they harm any Americans, then there's nothing to stop them from doing so. But remember, the thing to keep in mind here is this is all Donald Trump's fault. When I came into office, I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the Taliban. Under his agreement, U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021, just a little over three months after I took office. U.S. forces had already drawn down during the Trump administration from roughly 15,500 American forces to 2,500 troops in country. And the Taliban was at its strongest militarily since 2001. The choice I had to make as your president was either to follow through on that agreement or be prepared to go back to fighting the Taliban in the middle of the spring fighting season. False choice. There would have been no ceasefire after May 1. There was no agreement protecting our forces after May 1. There was no status quo of stability without American casualties after May 1. There was only a cold reality of either following through on the agreement to withdraw our forces or escalating the conflict and sending thousands more American troops back into combat in Afghanistan, lurching into the third decade of conflict. All right. Kurt Schlichter, retired Army colonel, uh, Desert Storm veteran, writes at townhall.com. He says, beware of stupid people and people pretending to be stupid for effect. Right now, Biden is more concerned with salvaging his popularity than with the disaster his incompetence unleashed. And his narrative janitors 
are doing their best to mop up the blood he's spilled. If you think, but Trump invited the bad guys to negotiate a Camp David, or if you're thinking, Trump's deal freed a bunch of prisoners, if you think these are some sort of gotcha that puts, uh, puts this on Trump, you are dumb or you think your followers are. There are three ways that a war ends. That's it. You win, you negotiate a peace, and you lose. Those are the three ways that war ends. We took win off the table. Neither Trump nor Biden or anybody else is willing to take the time, spend the money, spill the blood to win this war. Right? So win is not an option now. So to win would require a combination of the Boer War tactic of emptying the countryside with the Roman tactic of pretty much killing everybody else. And we're just not going to do that. So we won't win against tribesmen who will not give up. So the next option was negotiate a deal. Trump did that. And when you negotiate, you negotiate. So asking them to visit Camp David is hardly some shocking concession. And when wars end with a deal, prisoners go free. Like you think like any deal would keep them locked up forever? Trump made a deal. He called for the Taliban to power share and had the United States withdraw most forces in May. The Taliban broke the deal. They attacked. Biden did nothing except lengthen the withdrawal time. He did not enforce the deal. Biden also took, and by the way, this was to be expected, I would add, because every new president gets tested, every one of them. And this was a test of the new Biden administration. Here's an email from Richard who says... It doesn't matter who began the process. There obviously was no Biden plan in place to do the following. Number one, extract those uh, who assisted us, risking their lives for the U.S. Number two, removing all Americans prior to troops exiting. Number three, removing military equipment and weapons beforehand. And four, destroying any military installations or bases that would have been useful to the Taliban. It is Biden's lack of a plan that is the issue. Colonel Kurt Schlichter, retired. Um, he is a Desert Storm veteran and a town hall columnist. I uh, actually uh, was talking to him yesterday, tried to get him on the show, but he's traveling. So uh, we'll get him on at some point. He is a, <laughs> he's a, he's a fun interview. Anyway, uh, he also does stand-up comedy on the side. It's, yeah, he's, uh, he's a very he's a, he's a renaissance man. You can play your delayed ring, rim shot for him. Oh, it would be fantastic. Yeah, we'll totally make it work, I'm sure. So he says uh, Biden took longer than Trump. Uh, took longer to leave than Trump would have. Assuming the ridiculous scenario that Trump would continue with the treaty while the Taliban broke their part and not retaliate. So Biden had more time to plan and execute a smooth departure, yet he did not. The last alternative, right? So you get three alternatives. When you go to war, these three ways war ends. You win, which isn't going to happen because Americans are not going to put up with and are not going to stomach what you would need to do to win. So not going to happen. Number two, negotiate a peace. Or three, lose. Right? This is the last alternative, to lose. Biden chose that option. And so did every jerk who complains that Trump negotiated. Win, negotiate, or lose. Pick one. If you disqualify negotiating and you won't win, then that leaves losing. Right? If you're willing to lose, just own it, loser. 
So this is Kurt Schlichter again. So their argument, to the extent that it is an argument and not a cheesy ploy to distract from Biden's disgraceful, disastrous failure, is that Trump tried to negotiate a peace, the Taliban broke the deal, and so Biden had no choice but to lose. That's their argument. It's baloney. He says, so when you hear dumb and dishonest people trying to confuse the strategy, which is to leave Afghanistan, with the tactics, which is Trump via enforcing the deal and Biden via cutting and running, you know you're being played or in the presence of an idiot and maybe both. Right? Like this is, I'm not sure how to make this any more clearer. What Biden did in his speech is constantly focus on the strategy and not the tactics. And that is by design. It's by design. Let me go over here to the phones. Pete, welcome to the program. Hello, Pete. Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. Um, yep, of course. Great name. Great name. Uh, four four <laughs> quick points. One, uh, the founding fathers warned us not to get into foreign entanglements. Mm-hmm. S- stuff like this happens when you do that, mm-hmm. and we've got a long, long history of it. Uh, item uh, two, I heard this morning that the Taliban is guarding the Russian and the Chinese embassy in Kabul. Not surprising. Which which leads to the question, uh, you know, qui bono, who benefits? Mm -hmm. Perhaps, perhaps, uh, you know, Tom Clancy could write this. We we, we won't think about it, but Tom Clancy could write it because it's only fiction. Uh, We may have to really consider that Biden is owned by the Russians and the Chinese, and this is the easiest way to pay them off. Well, uh, we all know that that was Donald Trump who was owned by the Russians and the Chinese, so that couldn't possibly be the case with Joe Biden. If you can buy one, you can buy another. Well, <laughs> oh, that's fair. No, well, I mean, and this gets to the uh, the point of the importance of Hunter Biden's laptop that the media shut down and social media companies, right? Literally banning laptop. a newspaper from from Twitter, from social media, from publishing a story that was true because it hurt Hunter Biden and Joe Biden in the run up to the election. I, I heard it said some years ago that everybody was upset with Trump because he was going to put a light on the bezel. The bezel meaning how much everybody in the whole swamp was getting paid by everybody else. And Trump was going to stop that just by becoming aware of it. They weren't going to be able to cover for each other so much anymore. And that was why they worked, the, the whole swamp worked so collectively hard to demonize and get Trump out because he was messing up the gravy train for all of them, from the military industrial contractors, everybody that got enriched, uh, you know, the, the Cheneys, the Rumsfelds, everybody that got enriched on the whole, the whole Afghanistan thing for years. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do wonder, there's also the China component where there are institutions in America that have been, uh, and people, that have been essentially bought by China, right? You've got... The word, right, yeah, the word I mean, capture. Yeah, I mean, you have, you, you've got institutions, you know, on college campuses, for example, that get massive infusions of money. The Confucius uh, uh, Institute, I think, is one of them. Uh, they get a bunch of money. Also, you got tech companies, you have uh, the NBA, right? You've got, and then the people that work in these industries, they all derive a paycheck. Hollywood, for example, right? If you think China doesn't know what it's doing, read some of the Chinese uh, strategies. This is precisely what they're doing, and they're doing it on purpose. 
they're infiltrating all of these institutions of our culture and our society, but predominantly the culture. And uh, because, you know, a Chinese uh, direct payment to a politician is going to be obviously bad, right? Uh, well, unless you're like Eric Swalwell. Um, and then right. he just, I think he takes payment with dates. But he's married now. It's okay, too soon. Anyway, uh, if you're taking direct bribes from the Chinese, that looks bad. Unless you're Nancy Pelosi. But then you've got this uh, this other way to affect change in a society, and it's through the cultural institutions. This is part of their philosophy. This is part of their, their, their long view of history. And if you look at what's happening in Afghanistan, they benefit and Russia benefits. And, and I, it's, much, it's much easier for them to take us over this way than to go into a kinetic war. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it, it, it's best to surrender without firing a shot. And look at what, what the Taliban have done, right? I mean, they've, they've run through the whole country without really even killing a whole bunch of people to do it. So uh, I think, yeah, I, I, I think that I think there's something there. I don't know what it is. I appreciate the call. And I bring up China because there was a, a piece um, that I had read talking about the China class. There are so many people, and this is a bipartisan thing. There are so many people that have direct ties financially to this Chinese money train. And uh, what people, not just in Trump world and Trump supporters, uh, but I think a lot of people who are just kind of not really even paying attention to politics kind of started to see. And I don't think I don't credit Trump for being able to identify these things and bring them out. I think his win was such a surprise and it jeopardized because he was a bull in a China shop and he's not playing by these these norms, these rules. Right. He's not because he doesn't know them and he doesn't care because that's the kind of person he is. Right. So he's the bull in the China shop. And I don't mean that like, well, I guess I do mean the pun there. I didn't even realize it. But anyway, he's going through and he's like just uh, bumping into stuff. And, oh, did I do that. Oh, I don't like that at all. That looks like trash. And that place is a bleep hole. You know, like he's doing all this stuff. And you start to see in the reactions, you start to see how people behave. And from those reactions, we now see sort of the silhouette emerge. Right. You can kind of make out the curvatures of the outlines. And you're like, what is this? Who are all, why are all of these people now saying the same thing that seems really weird because Trump said something that's benign. Trump said something that wasn't really offensive or outrageous. And all of a sudden, all these people are like, how dare you attack China? And you got guys like Steve Jobs and LeBron James all on the same side of some issue. Just weird. People started to see that. And once you see it, my friends, you've been red-pilled. That's a Matrix reference for you Gen Zers. Um, you can't unsee it, and that's a big problem. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Email from John up in New Jersey, listening on Les Stream. Says, uh, anybody mentioning how relieved Andrew Cuomo has to be about the timing of all of this? Fair. That's a fair point. Fair point. Um, do, 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 do. This is how to answer. Oh, uh, Jan says, when Mr. Biden 
was running for the office, he basically promised to reverse any Trump decision he did not agree with. As president, Mr. Biden is sticking to that plan. This this makes it difficult to believe that President Biden felt bound by the Trump plan in any way, shape, or form. It seems more likely that the decision maker in the Biden administration wanted U.S. troops out of the area immediately. Yeah, I mean, like at, at some point you do have to wonder, is this Charlie Foxtrot by design to some degree, like they knew it was going to get really, really bad. It could be incompetence. That's what I believe it is. It's up to now. But at some point, you got to wonder, well, did you want it to look this bad so you could blame Trump? Is that the idea? Because as Kurt Schlichter went through early uh, in the, the tweets I read earlier, like the Taliban, they uh, reneged on the deal. Right, they broke the terms of the deal, and that was then on Biden to enforce, and he did not. And so, if you weren't going to negotiate, if you weren't going to enforce the negotiated deal, and you're like, okay, well, then we're going to get out, then that's your call. That's not Trump's call. That's your call. And on the one hand, you heard in the audio bites, he blames Trump for drawing down the troop levels, and then on the other hand, is like, I'm bringing them all home, so, you know, I'm doing this for the troops. This is this is so I end the war. And, all right, fine, it happened a little bit faster than we thought it was going to happen. Yeah, that's pretty obvious. Um, from the New York Times piece, last little blurb here, current and former officials said that while it was true the CIA predicted a collapse of the Afghan government, it was often hard to get agency analysts to clearly predict just how quickly this would occur, especially as Mr. Trump and then Mr. Biden made decisions on how fast to draw down troops. Two former senior Trump administration officials who reviewed some of the CIA's assessments of Afghanistan said that the intelligence agencies did deliver warnings about the strength of the Afghan government and security forces, but the agency resisted giving an exact time frame, and the assessments could often be interpreted in a variety of ways, including concluding that Afghanistan could fall quickly or possibly over time. Sharp disagreements have also persisted in the intel community. The CIA for years has been pessimistic about the training of the Afghan security forces, but the DIA, the Defense uh, Intelligence Agency, as well as other intelligence shops within the Pentagon, delivered more optimistic assessments about the Afghans' preparedness. This is the blame game. The knives are out. This is what's happening. You've got people, because Biden came out and made his speech the other day, and he was like, we had no idea. So what does that mean? We weren't told. What does that mean? It means the CIA, the intel communities, they screwed up. They didn't tell us the accurate information. So now here comes the CIA. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. We said this is not going to go well. We said that it was going to fall. The Afghans are terrible. And now you have the pushback from the DIA and the other Pentagon shops. And they're like, no, no, no. You guys never gave us an exact timeline. Like, you guys were not specific. Did you mean three days? Did you mean three months? Like, like what are you talking about here? The Afghans are totally going to be able to do this. Everybody's blaming each other. Yeah. Uh, let me go over here to, to Jay. Hello, Jay. What's up? Welcome to the show. Hey, I just wanted to call and uh, mention a couple things that 
that, you know, I guess I'm having flashbacks from 1975. That happens uh, with certain uh, drugs that uh, you might have taken. Just a heads up. No, I mean, we, you know, we, <laughs> we, are, we were getting out of Saigon, and we had pretty much the same thing going on. We had people scrambling to get the heck out of there. We had our trained uh, South Vietnamese pilots that were crashing their helicopters in the ocean just to get off of... Yeah. Uh, you know, get out of Vietnam, you know, and, and it, you know, pretty shameful. I mean, and this is pretty much, I'm like, I told my wife the other night, I said, I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> I said, this is, this is ridiculous. I mean, but, uh, it is it also, is what there, it is. I mean, yeah. And there's a parallel, uh, right? You've got Nixon and Trump, right? Both, although Nixon technically was not impeached, but like that, everybody thinks he was, right? But Nixon and Trump. And and the the, um, yep. uh, the 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 forcing out of Nixon the, and the the attempt to force out Trump, followed by a yep. Democrat for you know four year term, and we'll see if Biden is even capable of winning again. Uh, but a four year term, and, and like this, it, it is. It's like all of this stuff is happening again. It's the same sort of cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It is. Either that, and or it's the drugs. People, you know. Well, I mean, <laughs> and then, you know, you had people holding on to airplanes and airplanes taking off and yeah. uh, people falling off the airplanes, you know, and it, it, it's horrendous. Yeah. You know, but I mean, what do you do when you've got a lot of people that were sympathetic to the American way and now they have no protection whatsoever? And it'll be a bloodbath. It'll be a bloodbath. Yeah, it's going so, to be. And I think and I think there are two. There are two types of people in the world, as I understand it, from uh, like psychological profiles, basically. Uh, people who tend to be uh, more optimistic, more open, and, and people who view the world sort of tragically, right? Uh, that, that things, are, yep. things are, are, are bad and people are generally like really predisposed to do horrible things to each other. Um, and yep. ironically enough, the people who have this tragic view of life um, which I put myself in that camp, but we tend to be happier, which is, it, it's this weird thing. Yeah. Like yeah. people who view life, I would submit as it is, that it is a constant battle against death that we all eventually lose. And that is a tragic view of life. And there are constant horrors and evils exacted upon human beings. And it, it breaks your heart. Newstalk 1110-993. Let me bounce over here to Stan. He's been waiting a very long time. Hello, Stan. Hi, Pete. Hey, how are you? I'm going to comment on one thing you mentioned since I called in, and, and then I'll get to what I really call about. Just a uh, quick comment. Remember when Hunter Biden's laptop came out, 50 CIA agents came out and yeah. told us that it was Russian disinformation. So yep. we know that they are either liars <clears throat> or incompetent, and I'm going with option number one. Yeah, I think that's obvious at this point that... They would put out a letter, a statement, and uh, make an assessment based on what is essentially a political bias. So, yeah, they were liars. Well, within three days, the Washington Post had come out and verified the laptop. Mm -hmm. So, in reality, if you want accurate information, you can't get it from Facebook, Google, Twitter, or even your politicians. And the only place you can get it is from news sources that are unwoke. News sources that are unwoke. Well, that's correct. But even, well, this is the thing even unwoke news sources. Can only be trusted so so far. So I mean, far, yeah. Right. This, this so is why far. I say you got to get news from multiple places because w- when you hear, like, when you see a story, you know, and I know this is kind of a rough uh, example, but you got Fox and you got CNN. How do they cover the same story? Right. 
You're going to get different perspectives and angles to that one story. And so, but this is the problem is that it takes a lot to do that for every single thing that comes up in the news. Most people don't have time to do that. Yeah. Now, in, in terms of how you said something about vetting people at the border, the question is how are you going to vet them? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't really say that you support the Constitution anymore because that's racist. Well, no, they, so, if you're coming from Afghanistan, then they've got biometric data on all of the people that were working with us. Mm-hmm. So, and the problem is that now the Taliban's got it, like everything right. else. Like, that's the problem. And so, so because, because of the way this has been handled. Well, see, well, my point is, is, is that what they want is they want to have as many people from varying cultures and backgrounds here so that there is no cohesiveness social culture within the country. So that ultimately what we will do is to protect ourselves from our neighbor. What we will do is we'll all voluntarily submit to a, to a police state. Yeah, I'm not into the prediction game because, uh, I mean, anybody can do it. And there's, it's like the laziest form of journalism, for example, like mm-hmm. people making predictions. Because if you're wrong, then nobody's ever going to come back to you and say, hey, you were wrong about this prediction. I understand right. the need for the uh, the sheepdogs barking at the noises in the night, though. I recognize the importance of that. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not one of those, I, I, but I, I don't do that. I'm not good at it. Uh, I cannot see the future. And so I just try to look at the things that have been, uh, that are, are being reported, have been reporting, uh, have been reported. And I try to make sense of what has occurred. Mm-hmm. I can sometimes get a, you know, an idea of what might happen, but I will never, I try to never, let me say that because it's very easy to slip into doing this. I try to never advance predictions as if i know something is going to happen so i'm Correct. yeah i'm just i i don't know i know there's a common thing it's the way people talk nowadays it's mm-hmm. oh i you know i know this is going to happen but nobody really knows that this stuff is going to happen um you can make predictions though oh, oh kind of like the people say we're going to have a civil war or something like that yeah and well there are people that say we are in one right now that it has already mm-hmm. begun um it's just it, it's a it's a non-hot it's a cold war right um, but, but yeah, and, and, and I don't know to that to be true either. Um, I, I prefer to gather as much evidence as possible before making those types of conclusions. So, no, uh, love you so, Pete. Take care now. All right. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Let me go over here to Enzo. Hello, Enzo. How are you? Pretty good, Pete. Thank you. Uh, this is my first time calling. Well, welcome. Uh, I'm an, I'm an old devil dog. Um, uh, I went into theater, uh, 2006, 2007, and it was in uh, Ramadi and Fallujah. Mm. And um, I just want to say that I, I believe what's going on in Afghanistan is, is bigger than than us enlisted and, and us people back home. Um, in the sense of um, the military uh, contractors, mm-hmm. they, they, they rub. This is what this is. This is what I saw at the S2 shop. Um, I saw many officers, I call them the high echelon, right? Um, and, and, and they they like to rub elbows, they like to uh, drink some cognac, and they like to fill the room with some smoke mm. and make deals. So, in my opinion, um, I think we are not going to leave Afghanistan. I think we are going to stay there. And it's because of, of these contractors. This raises, so, and I'm glad you mentioned this. And uh, it raises this question in my mind. And I don't, again, I'm not asserting this to be true because I don't know. Just like, but like you've, you, you're, you're, you have a sense that this is not going to end. 
And I have, I have the same sort of sense. I wonder if, like, what happens in a few years, if, if this gets really bad and we start seeing Afghanistan, you know, turn into what it was, but on steroids, does this then give entities and organizations and people the opportunity to make a case for us to go back in, in which case then the, the gears of war get cranked back up? I, tru- I truly believe that. In, in the sense that they let it fail. Um, I've, seen, I've seen it um, because they'll come in for the rescue. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's how I see it. All right now, the maybe some so, other veterans see it a different way, but that's yeah. how I see it. So the flip side of that could be though that you've got China and Russia; they're entering the fray, right? They're going to because they've got deals and their embassies are there. They got deals set up, and um, I suspect they're going to be in. The, I suspect they're going to be big players there, right? To to what degree I don't know, but does that then tamp down on some of the stuff, or do they end up like? Yeah, I mean, are we going to end up in some sort of a proxy war? with those entities as well. I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know the answers to these questions. These are my concerns, though, when you see the amount of, um, uh, the amount of weaponry that the Taliban now controls, the, the bases that they have, the cities they've taken. It's going to, I mean, it, like, I remember what it was after Desert Storm when we left the Kurds to be slaughtered. I remember that. And my fear is that we're going to see that but even worse, even worse in Afghanistan. Um, yes, sir. I think so, too. Yeah. I hope not. Yeah, same here. Well, Enzo, thanks uh, for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you for your service. Welcome home, sir. Um, Thank you, sir. All right, yeah, hope you uh, call back again. Appreciate it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Email from Joseph. Nate's full of crap. <laughs> that, was, that was a caller, Nate, earlier in the show. Biden is the only one who said going into Afghanistan was a mistake? I mean, Trump stood on stage and told Jeb to his face. That's how you have to say that, by the way. Jeb to his face that his brother got us into these never-ending wars, both of which Biden voted for. Nobody was going to come out looking great ending this mess, but only Joe could screw it up this badly. Um, he then talks about the Intel failure, saying Chuck Schumer told Donald Trump that the Intel community had six ways to Sunday from or from Sunday. Yeah, I remember this quote. Limbaugh used to play the clip. Yeah, that the uh, that Chuck Schumer said, oh, you Trump is going to cross the Intel community. They got six ways from Sunday to get even with them. Do you think they'll get even with Joe for throwing them under the bus? No, because he's their puppet. Biden blaming them and then leaking to the New York Times. It's all just the Kabuki theater, um, which I'm not sure if it is or isn't. Here is, though, Donald Trump last night on Fox News with Sean Hannity. And uh, Donald Trump told him it's a terrible time for the country. I don't think in all of the years our country has ever been so humiliated. I don't know. Would you call it a military defeat? or a psychological defeat. There's never been anything like what's happened here. It's, uh, you can go back to Jimmy Carter with the hostages. We all thought that was a great embarrassment and we were pulled out of that by Ronald Reagan. 
This is uh, many, many times worse. And you're dealing with thousands and thousands of Americans and others that are stranded and very dangerously, really stranded in Afghanistan. So it's uh, it's something that you, you can't even believe that a thing like this could. I looked at that big monster cargo plane yesterday with people grabbing the side and trying to get flown out of Afghanistan because of their fear, their incredible fear, and they're blowing off the plane from 2,000 feet up in the air. It's uh, nobody's ever seen anything like that. That blows the helicopters in Vietnam away. That's not even a contest. This has been the most humiliating period of time I've ever seen. Yeah, we had a great deal. We worked on it very hard. Mike Pompeo, a brilliant guy, and many others worked on it endlessly uh, meetings with the Taliban. Of course, you have to meet with the Taliban. They're the ones that you're negotiating with. I spoke on numerous occasions to the head of the Taliban, and we had a very strong conversation. I told him up front, I said, look, before we start, let me just tell you right now that if anything bad happens to Americans or anybody else, or if you ever come over to our land, we will hit you with a force that no country has ever been hit with before, a force so great that you won't even believe it, and your village, and we know where it is, and I named it, uh, will be the first well, one. Mr. The first President, I want to interrupt. Dropped right there. You said this to who? Yeah. Who did you? You said to that to who? To Mullah Baradar, who is probably the top person. Now, nobody really knows who the top person is, but I would say that's probably the top person, and it seems to be. Uh, that's the way it's rolling right now. But I had a very strong conversation. I also had a good conversation with him. We talked for a while after that. That was the primary point I was making, and he understood it. Then I asked him, do you understand? He said, yes, I do understand. And I wanted them to get a deal done with uh, the Afghan government. Now, I never had a lot of confidence, frankly, in Ghani. I said that openly and plainly. I thought he was a total crook. I thought he got away with murder. He spent all his time whining and dining uh, our senators. I mean, the senators were in his pocket. That was one of the problems that we had. But I never liked him. And I guess based on his escape with cash, I don't know, maybe that's a true story. I would suspect it is. All you have to do is look at his lifestyle, study his houses where he lives. He got away with murder in many, many different ways. But uh, I had a very, very strong talk with the Taliban, which I considered to be much more important in this sense because they were the problem. And they've been there for a long time, and they're good fighters, and they fight hard. And after I said that, we had a pretty good conversation. Now, I have to tell you that if you remember when they were coming to Washington to meet with me, they decided to kill an American soldier because they thought that was a good way to negotiate. And I canceled the trip. And we had a conditions-based agreement. And if you remember, it said May 1st, we want to get out because we have to get out. I've listened to people on your show and other shows say we should stay. They don't know. We, we were spending $42 billion a year. $42 billion. Think of it. $42 billion. I understand Russia spends $50 billion a year for their entire military. We were spending $42 billion, not 1%. They were saying 1%. That's a lot of nonsense. We're spending $42 billion a year on defending this for years and years. We've been there really now, not 20 years, but 21 and a half years. And we get nothing out of any of these things that we do, whether it's them or many other countries I could tell you about. I'm not going to insult anybody right now. 
But to spend that kind of money and then to have people get on shows and say how inexpensive it was. And I have to tell you also that we lost no soldiers in the last year and a half because of me and because of the understanding that we had. We lost no, think of that, in Chicago and in New York and in other cities in the United States, many people die every weekend. We lost no soldiers in Afghanistan because they knew I wasn't going to put up with it. And that's what happened. So I also wonder, you know, we still have troops in Germany, do we not? Right? We, we keep troops in some of these places for a very, very, very long time. Um, I noticed that part of the discussion is just kind of out. Also, I noticed a lot of the Lincoln Project people, Rick Wilson... Tom Nichols, Bill Crystal, a lot of the uh, folks in the bulwark and the dispatch, the never Trumpers that, um, and look, I, I, I did not vote for Donald Trump. I didn't vote for any of the Democrats either, but I did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, but I never became like I, Donald Trump did not break my mind. Like he apparently broke so many others minds, both, both pro and con again. Like there are people that love Donald Trump and, can't see any bad things that he's ever done or wrong things he's ever done. And some people hate Donald Trump and can't see him doing anything right. But for the folks of the Lincoln Project particularly, um, and I've interviewed several of them over the years, but Trump broke their brains. And uh, they're, especially like Tom Nichols, he was to me the biggest disappointment. He's a Naval War College guy, lives up in Connecticut and, He's on MSNBC Morning Joe now all the time. And uh, I used to chat with him regularly, had him on uh, old radio show. And he's just, he's gone completely nuts. And his big thing about Trump was about foreign policy. He was like a Russian expert guy. And you know, how dare he undermine our standing in the world, our credibility among these other nations and NATO. And oh my gosh, he's going to ruin NATO. He's going to blow it all up. Headline today. From the Financial Times, NATO allies urge rethink on alliance after Biden's unilateral Afghanistan exit. I haven't seen any of these guys sounding the alarms that we have lost our standing and we are undermining NATO now, even though apparently that is what is occurring. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Let me bounce over here to Jim. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Pete. Hey. Yeah, Vietnam was my time. I cried like a baby when I went to the Vietnam Wall first time. Mm. I got a medical deferment and didn't go. Stayed in college. And now, Pete, ironically, I've got a set of Vietnamese-made tires on my car. <laughs> I've got a Vietnamese-made lens on my Japanese camera, and we're collaborating with the Vietnamese about what the Chicoms and Xi are doing in the South China Sea Islands. <laughs> so this, and I've been hearing this, that there, and of course Trump, to his credit, I think, he did a lot of things over there to open up... Uh, Israeli and uh, Arab and some other uh, of those Emirates uh, relations. 
And there's a bunch of people in Iran that are ticked off at these mullahs. Uh, that that section of the world, Pete, has a, has the opportunity to be one of the richest parts of the world. Mm-hmm. But but Pete, I contend even from nine one one that there's two reasons that we're over there, and I'm talking about the Middle East, and they are oil and nukes. Now there are nukes over there, I think, possessed by Pakistan. The Israelis have had nukes for years. And, of course, the Iranians and some other people over there want to build one. So if our life changes here in the U.S., I can guarantee it will change, Pete, if one of those nukes is detonated. True. If, if, if the oil flow stops, Pete, oil, your life in these United States is going to change. Correct. That's the reason we stay there and should still be there like we've been in Germany and Japan now for 75 years. So uh, you, it, the, the tragic loss of our troops in Afghanistan and Iraq, you can cry about, just like I cry about the World War II Memorial when I first went there. But if you want life to change in these United States, you cut off the oil or you detonate a nuke, and it'll happen. Jim, thanks That's for the— all I got to say. All right, man, I appreciate the call. Thank you. It uh, reminds me, though, of— uh... But Jim was talking about like making predictions. This is the, you know, the the conversation from Charlie Wilson's war about the Soviets in Afghanistan. Philip Seymour Hoffman is telling uh, Tom Hanks on his 16th birthday, the boy gets a horse as a present, and all the people in the village say, "Oh, how wonderful!" And the Zen master says, "We'll see." One day, the boy's riding, and he gets thrown off the horse, and he hurts his leg. He's now no longer able to walk. So all of the villagers say, "Oh, how terrible!" And the Zen master says, we'll see. Some time passes. The village goes to war. All of the other young men get sent off to fight. But this boy can't fight because his leg is all messed up. And all of the villagers say, oh, how wonderful. And the Zen master says, we'll see. Right? We don't know. People who know or who think they know what the future holds, like, they don't. They're making predictions. And that's that's all. Here is uh, Donald Trump in the uh, interview last night with Sean Hannity. He said that he told the Taliban that if they violated the agreement with territorial ambitions, that uh, he would treat them like he treated ISIS, which was not good. Well, we did. We got rid of the caliphate. Everyone said it was impossible, and I did it very quickly, and I let the generals make the decisions. The generals, the real generals, the ones that were over there doing the fighting, the ones that knew how to do it, because we have a lot of generals that shouldn't be generals right now, frankly, um, and I'm watching them all the time, but we have some great ones. We have great leaders in our military. We have the greatest military in the world. And we're giving it a very bad reputation, what's happening. Think of it. Uh, we took this horrible place. I mean, a place that just we shouldn't have been involved. It was a horrible decision going into the Middle East. And I know the Bush family will not be happy, but I believe it was the worst decision in the history of our country when we decided to go into the Middle East. It's turned out to be quicksand. We've destroyed the Middle East. Do you think it's better now than it was 20, 21 years ago? It's much worse. It was a horrible decision. It cost us trillions of dollars. And, and if you look at both sides, because I like to look at both sides, millions and millions of lives. 
And it's no different than it was. It's much worse because you have to rebuild it. It's been blown to pieces. The worst decision ever made was going, you can do a strike as retribution, and it could be a big strike as retribution for the World Trade Center, etc. But to get stuck in there was like quicksand. So we did a terrible thing. But think of what's happening now. I've heard as many as 40,000 Americans and the Taliban, good fighters, I will tell you, they're good fighters. We have to give them credit for that. They've been fighting for a thousand years. That's what they do is they fight. The Taliban has circled the airport and who knows if they're going to treat us right. You know, all of a sudden they'll say, well, frankly, if they were smart, they'd really, and they are smart, and they are smart, they should let the Americans out. But we've had situations where you have two or three or four hostages we could have 40,000 Americans, not to mention others, like people that helped us in Afghanistan. So we've never had a situation like this. We have 40,000 potential hostages, a minimum of 11,000, but it could be as many as 40. No, when, they have no idea how many. Nobody knows how many. When, they don't when, know anything. <laughs> uh, I do kind of miss some of that. <laughs> Just the, the little, the trail off sound bites where he says they don't know anything <laughs> this is the this is the appeal that he had right he talks like we talk like normal people non-politicians talk right trump said his agreement forbade the taliban from taking over five percent of the territory we would have hit them very hard again the words are conditions plural conditions based it was a an agreement where actually we wanted to get out by May 1st and they violated the agreement. So we didn't. It's a great agreement from a lot of different standpoints. And frankly, Biden didn't have to even go by that agreement. He could have done. Look what he's done to the border. We had the greatest border, southern border in the history of our country. We stopped drugs. We stopped human trafficking. We stopped people from coming in, prisoners from coming in. Now you'll have I mean, you have the worst people in the world. They're emptying their jails into our country. This is like the southern border, but it's handled even worse. Nobody handled the southern border worse than him. We had the most secure border we've ever had. And now we have by far the worst border we've ever had. Well, Afghanistan is the exact same thing. But to think of this, we have a military. It's holding it. You know, I got it reduced down to 2,500 soldiers, and they were doing a good job. It was fine. It was a smaller force. I took it down from close to 20 to 2,500, and we were fine. But we have the military there, and we take the military out before we took our civilians out, and before we took the interpreters and other, we want to try and help. But by the way, I'm America first, okay? The Americans come out first, but we're also going to help people that helped us, and we have to be very careful with the vetting because you have some rough people in there, but we're going to help those people. But can you imagine? Now, what we were going to do just very quickly is we were going to take the military out last, okay, last. The people were coming out, they were going to come out, but the agreement was violated, so I held things back because we weren't going to do anything, again, conditions-based. So well, they weren't we'll, we'll fulfilling their obligations and conditions. But here's just to finish. The people come out first. Then I was going to take all of the military equipment. We have billions and billions of dollars worth of new Black Hawk helicopters, brand new, that Russia now will be examining. And so will China and so will everybody else to figure because it's the greatest in the world. We have brand new army tanks and all sorts of equipment, missiles. We have everything. 
I was going to take it out because I knew they weren't going to fight. Just one thing, and I have to say, and this is different from everyone else, I said, why are they fighting? Why are these Afghan soldiers fighting against the Taliban? And I was told some very bad information by a lot of different people. The fact is, they're among the highest paid soldiers in the world. They were doing it for a paycheck because once we stopped, once we left, That's they stopped fighting. Yeah. So all of the people that talk about the bravery and everything, I say everybody's brave. Everyone. But the fact is, <laughs> our country was paying the Afghan soldiers a fortune. So we were sort of bribing them to fight. And that's not what it's all about. It's a great thing that we're getting out, but nobody has ever handled a withdrawal worse than Joe Biden. This is the greatest embarrassment, I believe, in the history of our country. Now that I that one is yeah, that's pretty spot on. But the um, the thing about they only were fighting for the money that may be true in some cases, but there were other people that fought and died and hadn't been paid. So uh, I think it's just too broad of a brush to uh, to paint with on that now. The Financial Times reporting that European allies had hoped that Joe Biden's election to the U.S. presidency would bolster NATO's relevance after Donald Trump's acrimonious tenure. Washington's messy withdrawal from Afghanistan is prompting a rethink, though. Biden administration officials had consulted with allies as they sought to unstitch Trump's isolationist approach. Quote, this was discussed at length, and the U.S. listened, but Biden had made it a political decision, said one person familiar with the withdrawal planning. That's a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. Brett Winterbull up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. We'll talk with you tomorrow, and uh, don't break anything while I'm gone.